All right, good morning and welcome. You've got Miss Sarah Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. Sarah, how are you this morning? I'm well. How are you? Doing very well. So we are going to talk a little bit. Uh, Sarah, you and I have talked many times about like um, basically in the aviation industry where you can have a 1970s model plane, but they maintain and they put engines and different things in it. Because of the climate of the world right now, we're kind of in a similar boat now. So um, one of my most exciting things we get to do at the shop is when we put a new engine in the first startup. Does that sound like crazy? No, it's exciting. You're it, like, did I do this right? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's such a big job. And, and I think Ryan did a good job taking photos and stuff. Our Ryan, not, not your Ryan. But uh, he took photos of a job where it was a F-150. And everybody knows I got a sweet spot for F-150s out there. Uh, but on that one, you pull the cab up off the chassis. And the engine comes out after the cab's off of it. Oh. So it is a huge, huge job. If I can find a photo of it, I'll show you. Um, but it's a big, big job. So you have basically in, intensive surgery. Um, and so years ago when, um, how do I put this before they had, you know, raised prices and, and everything went through the moon and availability was good. A lot of folks wouldn't do that kind of work. They would just go to another vehicle. But right now, because you can't get vehicles, um, we're doing a lot more engines and transmissions than we normally do. And, um, I really love bringing vehicles kind of back from the brink, you know. Uh, I hate giving up on things. I feel like I can fix anything. And so when somebody's like, no, I'll just get a new one, I'm kind of like, man, I can fix that. You know, that's part of how I'm wired. So the new startup, Harland, uh, and you've got to spend a little time with Harland over mm-hmm. the shop, haven't you? He is such a cool dude. And he loves that kind of stuff. So he pulled the cab on this F-150 and did the engine job. And we did the startup. He was doing some of the final drive and, and uh, you know, finish work to make sure it's in great shape before we turn it back to the customer. Um, but that's kind of the state of the world automotive-wise and, and, and other things as well. Um, people are not being able to just discard or throw away disposable items. And we've always had folks that had that same philosophy, but right now it's more of a necessity than a philosophy because you can't just throw things away right now. You have to fix what you have, which, you know, from my point of view, it's not that I'm afraid of debt or I hate debt, but I think you need to be able to use debt accordingly. And when things are lined up correctly versus being forced into a debt decision, I hope that makes sense out there. And that's what I want for folks out there. I want to give you guys options. I want to give you guys informed, um, true insight on what kind of condition your vehicle that you own right now is in. Um, I know I'm always the old man that talks about taxes at this point, but, uh, you know, I, I just think it's amazing that, you know, you'll buy a twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 vehicle and then have to go and pay a crazy amount of taxes on it. And a lot of times the the amount of taxes would have fixed your previous vehicle or been a significant step in that direction. So as you've got a vehicle that's getting a hundred to 300,000 miles on it, you know, those used to be numbers that folks, you know, discarded their vehicle due to mileage. And really, if you've got a vehicle that's, you know, 2000 or newer, that's not what I would consider high mileage anymore. Um, as long as it's not been in a northern or coastal area that the rust has eaten the vehicle up, 
Um, basically, I refer to it as a repower, and I think that's what the aviation industry does as well, that, you know, the chassis of the vehicle still has a lot of life left in it. The interior, the amenities, et cetera, et cetera, still can go for many, many more miles. And if you can get the ability to, um, you know, have the choice versus getting crazy deep in debt to do a repower reconditioning of different, uh, you know, degrees, depending on what's going on with it, or more uh, impressively, you know, maybe we can maintain it in a manner that you don't have to do that. I personally, um, and it's not just about me, but my family and friends that allow um, us to have a lot of influence on the care that their vehicles get. Um, I know I've got, it's a diesel engine, but I've got one of my personal rigs that's at 440. Um, I've got another diesel that's at 354. I've had many gas engines well over 300. And I have not had to do necessarily repowers on them. I have had to gone in and do some internal work on them just to make sure they're in good shape. Uh, one of our technicians, Troy, which has been with us well over 30 years, um, we just did a repower on his pickup. I think he was at almost 450 on a on a Chevy pickup with a 5.3 in it. There's a lot of you out there driving those trucks. They're fantastic trucks. Um, so all that mileage on that truck, we went ahead and did a repower on it, and he's driving it to this day. I'm very, very happy when we're able to do that versus him having to, you know, go out and sign on the dotted line for, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 if you can find a truck right now. So that's kind of what this is about. We're, we're at a point, and I honestly don't think the automotive industry is really going to get it together supply chain wise. Um, you know, we're, we're at the end of 2021. I honestly see 2022. Um, still being a little bit of a challenge and getting parts, getting supplies, getting new vehicles, the used vehicles out on the market. Um, you know, at this point, I'm optimistic that the beginning of 2023 maybe will yield something different, but we got a lot of things to get straightened out and hopefully folks start, you know, figuring that out instead of working against all of us, um, you know, in the next few years. Otherwise, we're going to be in the same boat. So, you know, having a big, healthy, fat car payment, even if you can find one right now, is definitely going to be kind of a, a bummer deal. So, Miss Sarah, I do have a few questions for you. Sure. So, I talk about maintenance all the time. And, and kind of by osmosis, I have seen your your uh, philosophy on maintenance change, which is really cool, by yes. the way. So I had a shop owner the other day, and I want to I want to hear what you think about this. He listens to the show, I think, on a fairly regular basis, KSGF listener. Um, he's like, how is it and why is it that you spend so much time talking about maintenance? Customers don't care about maintenance. Yeah. That's what do you, not true. Well, you know, from his side of it, I can see it. We have a lot of folks that when we bring it up, they're like, ah, oh, do I really need this or that or this or that? Um, and, and that's what I told him. I said, you know, our customers are starting to come in and ask for the maintenance. It's not necessarily a, a me having to convince them of it. Um, the proof's in the pudding. I mean, if you can get a vehicle to do two, three, four hundred thousand miles on it, why wouldn't you? Right. And so he just, you know, we went back and forth a little bit and he just could not see it my way. He <laughs> thought it was just amazing that we talk about maintenance as much, um, you know, we are a repair shop, obviously. We fix broken stuff. 
And a lot of shops out there do that. They're they're just a broken shop, uh, repair shop, basically. They wait until it breaks. Well, I don't want to do that. I don't want you broken down. And I think you've seen that from me over the years where I'm like, okay, we, you're, not a, you're not allowed to be broken down. They're, uh, just that's off the table. So what do we do to make that happen? Well, we go through and we keep you in the uh, in the loop on what's going on with the vehicle. And then we talk about how we keep you from tearing that stuff up. A lot of times it's as simple as just doing fluid exchanges. And so I explained all this to him and he's like, no, people don't care about that. They just wait till it breaks and then they bring it in. I mean, I guess I could see that side of things. But I think for me personally... My husband and I, we just went through the process of purchasing mm-hmm. a new to us vehicle and it was like 18 grand. And that's a lot for us. We just bought a house yeah. and we are not on the rich side. Sure. So that was a really big decision for us. And we are the type where if we can get by with maintaining something, fixing it here and there mm-hmm. for a hundred bucks, 200 bucks, even a yeah. thousand here yeah. and there, it's so much better than having to go and hunt for a vehicle, mm-hmm. sign your life away, come up with stuff for your licensing and insurance and things like that. Yeah. Because that's another added cost that you don't necessarily think about when you a good point. purchase a vehicle. Yeah, because that's another thing that we have to do. Uh, the husband's tags will expire here yeah. shortly. And that's going to be another six, seven hundred yeah. bucks that we have to come up with after coming up with the down payment on the vehicle. So, yeah, I would much rather put in the effort to fix my vehicle after, like, a certain extent. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If it's over a certain amount, that's kind of where I get into the I give up with my vehicle or is it worth fixing or is this fix going to allow me to drive my vehicle for X amount of months or years before it breaks down again? Yeah. So, yes. I just thought it was interesting that that. The, the shop owner had brought that up and he was very passionate about it. I mean, it wasn't anything, you know, weird or uncomfortable. He's like, I just don't see it, man. I don't see how people um, are interested in the maintenance side of things. And I'll tell you right now, it's always cheaper to maintain it than it mm-hmm. is to repair it. And I know a lot of owners out there, you know, they're in the repair mindset. And, and you know, I get pushback from customers from time to time. They're like, why is it that you're always talking about this maintenance? And it's not for me. It's not for the shop. It's not for A1 Custom Car Care. It's really not. It's because I see and I live the difference of taking care of it um, and not having as many. I'm not going to say you won't have any, but you won't have as many catastrophic repair bills if you will just do a little bit of preventative on it. And I'm not even talking about where you got to do the services like crazy, just you know, at least at a fair interval, change them out and you won't have those failures and breakdowns like other folks. So we're up against our first break. When we come back, Sarah's got a question from one of you. Welcome back. We've got Dustin and Sarah in here. Miss Sarah, I think you have something from one of the listeners that had a question. You know what? Now that I think about it, I have a question and a couple different responses. Okay. Yeah. So first I'll start off with last week, we had a gentleman share his story about how he went to a different shop Mm -hmm. and he ended up having to spend thousands of dollars to fix a couple of different repairs over and over again. Yeah. Anyways, he messaged us, reached back out after oh, the show. Yeah. Oh. And he was just very thankful that one, we covered his topic and two, 
he was very grateful of just how passionate you were of how just frustrated you were at this other (laughs) shop you could tell that he said that you could tell that you genuinely cared about your listeners and your customers and yeah so anyways he was very thankful that's awesome i'm so glad that he was able to give us some feedback on it and yeah whether we take care of you or not i want somebody to take care of you guys out there um this is my chosen profession i love what i do for a living and i hate it Um, and we're not perfect i got things that kick our butts and we got to take a run at it two or three times and you know we don't walk on water by any means and you know, I, I just want you guys to get taken care of because I know how hard we all work for our income. And when it comes to car repair and whatnot, it's already frustrating. You know, I, I tell our folks or our team at the shop, you know, we are in the problem business. Essentially, that's what everybody brings us. You know, we're not a not a, a custom stereo shop or window tinning or, or lift kits and that kind of stuff. That's the fun stuff. Where the hey, it's broke. I didn't expect it, and and here's here's the problem. And I take a lot of pride in that. So I'm very thankful you shared that with us. Yeah, we also had our Great Escape document party earlier this week, mm-hmm. and I had one of our listeners who's going on our Great Escape trip. They said, "Boy, Nick better watch himself." And I said, "Oh yeah, why?" And he said, "You're gonna take over the airwaves." There you go. And then he proceeded to talk about how he enjoyed our show so That's much, awesome. and that made me feel good. A little pep in my step but I, I absolutely love it when listeners come up to yes. me and say i love a1 custom car care show it just makes me feel good i know it makes you feel it good does. so i wanted to share that with you as well that's awesome and finally uh we do have a message from Corey in battlefield okay. and i want to apologize to Corey. he has been asking this question for a couple of weeks and i'm going to be real honest with you our talk and text line has been going crazy lately and it's been going crazy because we are doing that uh springfield's talk one thousand dollar giveaway that's right so everybody texts in whenever they hear the uh the directions to do so so anyways Corey, your message got buried and i promise i am going through all of the text messages to find questions but it does take me a little bit so i do apologize Corey. so Corey asked my question is about batteries on cars I was just wondering, why is it when you charge a battery at home with a charger, you're supposed to put the positive to the positive of the battery, and you're supposed to ground the negative to some part of the car? But yet, when you jumpstart one battery from another, you first put negative on negative and positive on positive. It's an awesome question. Um, part of it, and I need to cover this a little bit, so if I get too far out in la-la land, Sarah, please reel me back in. But when you're charging a standard lead-acid battery, and now I'll get into, I'm going to get a little nerd, car nerd on you, Um, it it puts a gas or an explosive gas off as it charges. And that's part of the charging process. Basically, it's moving positive and negatively charged molecules from one side to the other, and that's what creates or makes a battery work is the imbalance. When a battery goes bad, basically those molecules are now balanced and they're even, and that's what causes a battery not to work anymore. So long, hopefully I can make a good point here, that gas is flammable. So you never want to charge it in a confined area. So um, and some of you out there are going to think this is ridiculous, but you never want to bring the battery in the house. Like say maybe you don't have a garage that's ventilated, You never want to bring the battery in the house and charge it because that gas will build up and it can potentially explode. 
And fortunately or unfortunately, I have experienced this over my life, and it's not something any of you want to get in and involved with. Now, there are a lot of absorbed glass matte batteries in late model high electrical load and demand. They do not off-gas, and for that fact, they have started mounting or placing some of these cars in the trunk and in the passenger compartment. Stacy and I have a 16 GMC Arcadia, and that battery is actually under a kind of an access panel in the back seat where your feet would go. And so a lot of you out there, um, to even find a battery sometimes on a late model car is very difficult. So long and short, basically, to get to this answer, um, your sequence is correct. You definitely want to hook positive up first. Negative, secondly, um, depending on where the battery is located, um, you will definitely ground it accordingly, such as you talked about. But what I'm going to expand expound on a little bit more is a lot of times I ground or place my ground when I'm jumping a vehicle on a uh, good solid engine component. Now I'm not talking about the alternator, so don't clamp it to the alternator or anything like that. Some vehicles have a ground lug that you're supposed to jump off the engine block, and the reason that I do that differently than what you know you're kind of talking about is because a lot of times if you get high resistance or battery corrosion at the battery. I can get the vehicle going and avoid what's causing the battery not to start, which is the corrosion at the terminal. And you get a voltage drop at that point. So what my advice is, is if you are charging it, you are going to hook it up and charge directly at it. If I'm jump-starting a vehicle, I'm going to hook up to the positive side at the battery, and I'm going to find a good, clean engine ground, which would be a, a bolt or a lug or some kind of piece sticking out of the cylinder head area, and I'm going to ground off of that. I typically get a more true ground, or it's easier to access, especially on side post setups, which is where the, the battery is actually fastened to the side instead of the top post of the battery. Um, and secondly, if I do get any kind of an arc and I have any of that combustion gas that's, you know, in the way or in some kind of a, you know, area that's confined that could ignite, that arc will be away from the battery and it'll be on the engine block itself. Um, as well as the other reason that I do that a lot is if you do have a late model vehicle and you are jumping it, a lot of times you cannot access the battery. And so there will be a power terminal or a lug out on under the hood, which is designed to jumpstart from. And then I have to ground at the engine block in order to crank the vehicle over because the battery's not under there. So you think that that answered Corey's question? You, did that make any sense to you? I, I think it might have answered. I probably need to, we, we need to figure out how to do videos on stuff like this because this would be something that I could do, you know, in the shop location. Is You think we could do that? You think that's possible? Oh, yeah. Put that out there? Most definitely. I've been working on figuring out our Facebook Live oh, cameras. Oh, yes. So that is going to be an option for us here awesome. in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Hopefully that made sense to folks out there and we'll try and maybe put a tutorial video together. Sure. Um, because that would help explain that if you could see what it is. The other thing is if you have a question about your personal vehicle, and this is a concern that you want to know, um, run it by one of our shops and find one of the, the guys or even our ladies are very knowledgeable. 
and we can show you on your specific vehicle. Now, bear with us if we're busy, you know, give me a little bit or maybe call and make an appointment and say, hey, I just want to make sure I know how my vehicle works. Um, I know with Stacy, um, I carry a, or I make sure she has a little jump box in her car, but I wrote notes with arrows under her hood. And uh, we needed it here a while back, and she called me, and I was able to talk it through because of the arrows and the notes that I'd wrote under her hood. And so she was able to get her car and get it to me, and, and I That's was able great. to get it fit. It worked out really good, but that was just a little prep we did um, because I knew, you know, she's not, you know, technician mechanic. But I wanted her to have the tools in her toolbox that if she got in that boat, she can get her car started and get to get to some help. So. Yeah. Hopefully that makes sense. You think we covered that good? I think so. Cool. You got anything else we want to chat, chit-chat about? No, I think that is it on my end. So do you know how to jumpstart your own car? I'm putting you on the spot here. Yes, actually I do. And I'll tell you why I know. Because the husband and I, we used to go to uh, the Aurora Sunset Drive. I love that place, I do too. Unfortunately, I didn't get to make it out there. Well, I might, I might have, but usually we go all the time. Yep. Now that I live up in uh, Fairgrove land, a little bit of a drive. It is a little bit of a drive, but it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, truly is the husband. He left my car Uh-oh. on Rutley. He was running it for a little bit, and then, anyways, he ended up killing the battery. Yeah, key on and listen to the radio, and yep. or, or I guess you can tune in eighty-eight point something something, mm-hmm. and you can hear the the broadcast. I I have been there since I was 16, probably. Um, One of the very first movies I ever saw there was the first Fast and the Furious. Mm -hmm. I had this old jankety 83 F-150, and I thought I was so cool leaving (laughs) there after watch. I was pumped up watching that movie. Are you a Fast and the Furious fan? No, I did see the last one and I did see it at the drive-in. Yeah, you did. Okay. Did, well, yep. you you they've I don't know, they've kind of lost me on that series a little bit. Didn't they go to space or yeah. something? So, I'll be honest, I haven't even seen the last one, but the first one at a, as a 16-year-old uh new driver, I was pumped. I'm like, "Oh, I got to I got to do that." So, all right. Well, hopefully if you have more questions, let Sarah know. She's awesome at getting them. We'll be right back after the break. There's a stretch of black top, I ain't never seen a cop, so I'm pushing it a little past ten. Pull a little money from the bank, put it in the tank. All right, welcome back. We've got Sarah Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. That last question kind of spurred me just off the cuff, I guess, that, uh, you know, we need to have a chit-chat about batteries. It's typically the damage happens with the battery through the summer. Um, and I'm going to talk about lead-acid batteries, which is still the most common. Um, lithium or absorbed glass matte batteries are coming, um, but with the supply chain problems. And I hate to even use that as an excuse. I feel like, you know, we get these big uh, news things, and everybody likes to run with that as an excuse for everything, and it drives me nuts. However, it is reality, and, you know, it doesn't do us any good to bury our head in the sand. You know, we've just got to roll with it and make the best out of it. And try and be informed. That's my biggest thing is is I just don't want to be a dummy and not know what's going on. But most of your damage or the degradation of the battery actually happens during the hot summer months. And a lot of that liquid that's in the battery gets, um, you know, basically for lack of a better term, and this is not a scientific term, but it evaporates or boils off. And so the lack thereof 
you know, back in the day, you were supposed to check the um, the fluid level of a battery. If you buy small engine or motorcycle batteries, a lot of time the fluid is not even in there. When you purchase the battery, you put it in there and charge the battery yourself at an initial point of purchase. And that's how the shelf life, or they keep the shelf life longer on the battery. Long story short, the most stressful situation on a battery is during cold starts in the winter. It is required more cold cranking amperage and reserve capacity of a battery during winter months than it is summer months. However, the damage is done during summer months, so you find it in the winter. So we are replacing and finding a lot of bad batteries this time of year. Hopefully it's not that, hey, I went out to start my vehicle, it didn't start, Um Pay very close attention. You're going to know your vehicle better than most folks because you hear it and you you operate the vehicle every day. If you hear a difference in how it cranks up in the morning, and what I mean by that is it's very audible and it's very consistent, the rotating uh, cadence or RPM, the cranking RPM of the engine, and how long it takes to fire up. You know, you know how long you hold the key in the start position before you let go or how long when you push to start the vehicle before the vehicle fires up. Now, if you hear something different, I assure you something's going on. If a noise comes up that had never happened before, if something changes, you need to take notice of it. And if it does it definitely more often than it used to, I guarantee there's an issue. And I, I urge you either if you have the ability yourself to check it, um, whether it's batteries or a noise or investigation, or you have somebody that you trust to do it, you need to get it into them. Because I don't want you to get into the point where A, it damages other components, or B, you need to be somewhere. You're depending on that vehicle to fire up and get you to point A to point B, and it doesn't fire up. Now, the big box parts stores have some ability to do some what I consider rudimentary checks on that. That's at least better than nothing. Um, the way we go about things is we've got some very, very skilled folks that have some very high-end pieces of equipment that we can identify that before it leaves you stuck. Here's the other thing with starting and charging systems. If you run a, be- a, a vehicle with a degraded battery, that basically is the storage capacity of that system. What it really depends on is that storage capacity to work correctly, not to overwork the alternator. There's tons and tons of time I see at this point now where we end up having a failed battery and alternator because of the load that's on these very, very complex vehicles that do all kinds of crazy cool stuff with electricity. And you run a vehicle with a a poor performing battery And when you come in for service, I find out you've killed the alternator on it. And that amplifies the cost. Now, you might think most shops, as as Sarah and I were talking earlier, like doing repair work. And we do. You know, I mean, that is what we do. But what we do differently is we pride ourselves in hopefully informing and catching those things before it costs you more money. doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes circumstances are extenuating. But... If I share this with you and you catch that battery before it overworks the alternator, because that's what happens, the battery's not doing good enough job storing its capacity, so the alternator's working its tail off all the time, and by the time you get it into, you know, hey, it's a no-start, 
then we're at the point that we're putting an alternator and a battery in it. And that's, that's definitely no bueno. Nobody likes that. Um, you know, you got to have your vehicle, but let's not burn up extra systems that didn't need to be burned up. So Sarah, I said something earlier that directly, uh, pertains to your, um, situation at the, uh, the, uh, drive-in theater, which is reserve capacity of a battery. Is that something anybody's ever kind of brought up or you've thought about? You lay awake at night thinking about, hmm, I wonder what my reserve you capacity. Caught me. I know. <laughs> I'm the weird one that thinks about that kind of stuff. But that's a, a, a thing that, you know, needs to be discussed because not every battery is created equal. Um, if you buy the cheap economy one, what they do is they skimp on cold cranking amps and reserve capacity. And to pertain to where you guys were at and the key on and the car wasn't running, um, there's different ratings on the side of a battery that say, hey, you can run or this battery will discharge for so many minutes this amount. Usually it's 20 amps of current before the battery goes dead. So when we factor in certain things, that's a discussion that you need to have. So if you like to go to the movies and, and the key on for an extended time, or I can remember when I was a kid, my folks did it while we were fishing. We were baiting hooks and, and had the headlights on for just a few seconds. You know how long it takes to bait hooks. Cast it out, turn the headlights off. That battery was on its way out, and we were stuck there for a oh, long time. No. And trying to describe that was before the days of cell phones, so I don't even know how in the world. I think we got a good Samaritan to jumpstart us, if I remember right. Uh, but we were way off in the boonies. We never fished anywhere that was like a normal fishing area. Mm -hmm. You know, we would like take the machete and hack it out going <laughs> into this, uh, which I really enjoyed. You know, that was a big thing that my dad and I did. Um, but I can remember my mom telling the story that they had baited hooks and uh, cast it in there. And by the time they got it done, it was the battery was dead and they were stuck. Um, so that was kind of one of those things. But the reserve capacity is a big, big deal. I typically drive trucks that I have add-on accessories, so reserve capacity for me is a big deal um, because sometimes I'll be running lights. Um, my service bed has lights inside of it, and I want to make sure I can run those uh, for an extended period of time, even if the key's not on, um, without having to jumpstart myself, which I do carry that kind of equipment with me all the time. But for a regular, you know, kind of commuter or what I consider grocery getters, that's kind of my day-to-day runaround vehicles, reserve capacity is not such a big deal because there's not loads on there. But whoever you're um, having this discussion with, whether you're putting in your own battery or you're taking it somewhere, these are all factors that are going to matter. A lot of times those, um, what I consider economy or the cheap, cheap batteries, they, they won't get you two or three years and you're back in the same boat. And if you'll spring just a little bit more for the premium stuff, I've seen them go seven and eight years. I took a battery out of a car the other day. What kind of car was it? I think it was a Malibu, if I remember right. Battery was dated from 2014. I was blown away. Typically, you get anywhere from three to five years as a normal window. So the fact that that battery had lasted since 2014, I was very, very impressed. Do you know what year your battery is in your car? Oh, it's probably a 2016. I think it's 18. Is it? Yeah, okay. I looked at it this morning. It's 18 or 19. So you're you're in decent shape, but at some point we're going to have to put a battery in that. But knowing that date on there, um, it's been years ago. I had a guy bring his car to me, and every part he had ever changed, he had taken a paint marker, and he wrote the date and the mileage on it. So when I opened his hood, 
everything that had ever been serviced had the date and mileage written on that's it. That's kind of cool. It was kind of neat. I was like, man, that's kind of cool. And he's like, yep, I've done that since the beginning. I know everything I've ever done to it. And it's easy. I don't have to look for paperwork. I don't have to like, you know, get a book out. I've had people that have books and stuff and that's pretty neat. Uh, but he was the only one that I've ever seen do that. And I thought that was pretty doggone neat. Yeah. He had, I think, 300,000 miles on that Toyota. I think it was a Tacoma, if I remember right. And uh, still was going good. I don't think I did a whole lot for him. It was some standard maintenance. Uh, I did some exhaust work, I think, was what I was doing for him. So kind of a big deal. You know, we're at a point now where we have been such a disposable society. Have you ever had that thought or whatever, think where people just, oh, when it doesn't work, you throw it away and get a new one? Yeah. We've been like that for decades at this point. And this... um, climate or the world at this point with the availability we're gonna have to fix some things we're not going to be able to throw things away like we used to and thankfully we're in the fix-it business and that's what we do so uh, we had one this week that had come from the dealer as a matter of fact Uh, I think Darren is taking care of it now Um, they had quoted a few thousand dollars uh, for a part they couldn't even get wow and I was able to refurbish or recondition one and cross our fingers. I'll know when I get back. We've already test drove it once and it is working. Um, and we're going to fix it for, you know, maybe a tenth of the cost. Wow. That's and, awesome. And be able to get him back on the road on a car that he really loves. It's, I think, a 2005 Chrysler. And, uh, you know, if we can get him some more miles out of that thing for a tenth of the cost on a part that you couldn't even get. I'm really excited about being able to put that back out there and get it in service. But we're going to wrap the show up in a nice little bow after the break. You've got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. Welcome back. we got Dustin and Sarah. We're going to wrap up the show. And, you know, the main focus and the reason we kind of started this was to kind of get the word out, if you will. I, I see when people don't really have an idea about this or that. And then because they didn't take action on it, all of a sudden it jumps to the forefront and makes it, you know, makes them take action because it doesn't work. Essentially, it leaves you broke down. It doesn't, you don't have heat, whatever. And as we change seasons, I see very similar things every time. So right now, you know, we go into, you haven't used your heat in a long time. You haven't stressed your starting system up because it's been pretty warm so the demand to crank the vehicle up has been much less um etc 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 it just this is a stressful time for vehicles so one of the main things whether you're a do-it-yourselfer and you know what's going on if you will check your fluids and i'm not just talking about your oil um, you need to check your oil on a regular basis at least monthly if not bi-weekly i strongly recommend Um, I definitely do it probably more than most. I see a lot of vehicles come in for service, and one of our normal standard operating procedures is checking the oil on it. And I'm going to tell you right now, 9 out of 10 cars are more than a quart low on oil, which is really tough on things. Uh, As you go further, I'm a big fan of I really use my washer fluid a lot, and I use Rain-X additive in there. Um, because this time of the year when I got up this morning, we had a little bit of frost out there. Um, so you definitely, I use that. I like a very high concentrate of, 
uh, methanol in our uh, washer fluid because it does a good job dissolving some of that. Now that is hard on wipers, I'll tell you that. I do probably go through windshield wipers more than most. But I really, really like good, clear, clean windshield, side, you know, windows, etc., mirrors. Um, that's a big one. Uh, power steering, brakes, uh, transmission fluid, transfer case, rear differential. I'm talking about making sure and keeping up on some of your services. You know, there's many times that you don't use your four-wheel drive any time but two or three times a year. Well, you probably want to make sure those systems are in decent shape before the snow comes, before the ice comes, etc., etc., etc. One thing I always do, um, the other thing that doesn't get worked very much is your anti-lock brake system. 99% of you out there have anti-lock brakes on your vehicles. There's very, very few cars or trucks out on the road that don't have an anti-lock or a stability control system. Those systems only work when you get in a skid situation. So before I go leaving, when it's slick outside, under controlled conditions, I see whether those systems are going to work. So, you know, in a safe area, I will do a little bit of a brake check and see if that system comes online. And what it, the reason or how you'll know whether it comes online or not is when you lock the wheels up, in a safe environment, I don't want anybody calling me complaining that something happened. If you don't have good awareness or common sense, don't do it. But basically, you'll lock the wheels up in a slick area and the pedal will vibrate. You'll hear a humming noise and that's the ABS unit activating and trying to keep you in the best control and stopping ability that it can, which it does a very good job, by the way which creates a lot of electrical load, which if you have the headlights on or you're noticing the interior lights very carefully, a lot of times you'll see them dim because of the new electrical demand that wasn't there previously. But the reason I do that is I want to make sure that system's still working because in normal circumstances, we're not in a skid situation very often. And when you don't use components, you know, sometimes maybe for years, and they have to work and they haven't moved in forever, sometimes they're stuck and they don't move. And then they don't give you the assistance that they're designed to give you. So that's a big thing that I kind of do as a check along with checking the four-wheel drive before I need it to make sure that it is or isn't going to work. And then if it isn't working, then obviously we are going to take care of it and get it in and get it serviced. When you bring it in, a lot of people assume that whoever your regular maintenance provider is are checking all those systems. Um, I am adamant about asking when I want those checked just to make double sure. There are a lot of facilities that do and do a good job checking them. Um, I know we you know, make it a priority, but if I'm in, at this time of year thinking I'm going to need those systems, I'm going to be a little bit more adamant about checking those or asking to have them checked when I get it in there because I don't want to get in a situation where I need them and they self-destruct because they haven't been checked in, in years and we've assumed, and we all know what that stands for, that somebody's been taking a look at it. So that's a big thing as we go into the winter months. Um, you know, heat, batteries, brakes, tires. Tires is a big deal. They're not getting any cheaper. I would say every few weeks I get an email about tires going up in price. And a big part of that is because they all come from overseas, or at least the majority of them. 
And that inflation word is definitely happening because of the demand on them. So if you're thinking about tires, now is going to be a better price than in another couple months. Um, I've got one gentleman, uh, he's got a dually and he buys one tire at a time. And over the last two years, I've watched those tires. The last ones we ordered for him have gone up exponentially. You know, initially they were around $100. The last two I ordered were $150 each. So that's uh, basically a 50%, regardless of what the mass media out there is putting out there, that has gone up in in tires. I know that for a fact. I got two new tires Mm -hmm. not too long ago. But I knew that they were starting to kind of wear thin, and I had got a price estimate. And then it was probably about a month, month and a half later, where I was finally like, you know what, I need to go ahead and do this. So while I was getting my oil changed, I went ahead and ordered them. And there was a price difference because I believe it was a month and a half. And it wasn't a substantial one, thankfully, but there was a price difference. And and I'm happy you did it then because we're seeing more and more, even since... And I remember that's been maybe a month or two ago. It's been pretty recently. I've gotten emails on those specific brand of tires where they've taken another increase and another increase, even since you bought those. So it's, it's a real deal. I would not kick the can down the road. I was sharing with Sarah off air just even some of the day-to-day stuff we stock our home with. It is tripled, quadrupled, and, and then some in cost of price. And I definitely don't want to be looking at somebody and saying, well, you know, we can't get you taken care of. Or it's such a crazy amount of numbers to put tires on your car versus what I could have, you know, right now in six months, it's doubled. You know, to have a 50% increase is just absurd for one. Um, but at this point, you know, I'd rather be prepared and proactive and get it before some of those increases. I know I've been ordering some stuff that we use on a day-to-day basis, just un-automotive related, and I've watched the prices, and I'm better off for it being stocked and prepared versus waiting, you know, and kicking the can down the road because I'm gonna, it's going to cost us more later, unfortunately. So I'm very happy you got some tires on there. Even though it was a little bit more, um, it's not as bad as it unfortunately is going to be. Yeah, and I thought, you know what, we're getting into the winter months, yeah. so it's probably good. I got some some tires that are all season. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I could definitely feel a difference. I got them on the front of my vehicle yeah. and I have front wheel drive. So mm-hmm. I definitely could feel a difference. It felt a little bit tougher. And I was like, this is what I want yep. for the snow and ice. Absolutely. I think Amanda was helping you on that, or at least she asked. I'm like, yeah, this is the, this is where we're going to go. And that goes into it. And, and I kind of know or have an idea about what you guys are going to be doing with your vehicles. And we want to tailor those decisions for that. You know, we don't want to, we don't want to necessarily pick the cheapest, the most expensive. How about we pick the pick the right option and go with that? And that's kind of always my idea of, you know, how we deal with brakes, how we deal with tires, different, you know, there's different applications and we'll make sure and, and see what you're using the vehicle for. You know, if, if you live in town, maybe we would have done something a little different, but you guys are, you know, out in the country now, which I'm so excited about. That's super cool. Um, so we want to make sure you guys have the right tool for the right job, essentially, I guess is the long and short of it. So. How well do you think, uh, how tough of a winter do you think we're going to have? What's your prediction? I don't know. I'm kind of a toss-up. I know that the Almanac says that we're going to have a pretty mild to severe winter. Mm. But, I mean, I don't I don't know. After last year's winter, 
maybe we'll get a break. Yeah. Hopefully, because man, last winter I thought about you a yeah. lot because we got all of that we snow. We did, didn't we? And I thought, oh, I bet he's super happy. I had been complaining about that because the previous five years we got no snow. I mean, I was like, really? You know, I like snow. You know, I don't necessarily want it all the time, but I do enjoy a good snow. However. Um, maybe this will make you feel a little better because I feel like I asked for all that snow. I was out pushing snow when it was like negative something, something outside. I'm like, yeah, I am so over this snow right now. <laughs> and I use my four wheeler to push our lots and stuff, which is, it does a good job. I've, I've enjoyed it. Uh, but it was so cold. I know it was miserable. It was miserable. That's the best way to put it. And I won't forget that anytime soon. It we got a bunch of snow a few weeks after that, and it was in like the twenties or teens, and it felt like a heat wave. It was so much better. But I think you know at this point, there's nobody going to be able to predict anything anymore. I don't think the meteorologists know. It's just we better roll with the punches and be prepared. So hopefully this show helped you guys out. Miss Sarah, as always, thank you so much for hanging out with me. I appreciate you so much, Dustin. Likewise. And if any of you guys out there in Radio Land have any questions or comments, it doesn't matter how big or small, you can shoot us a text. It might take me a little bit to get to it, but I will get to it, I promise. Our phone number is 417-447-5743. You can also reach out to us on the KSGF Facebook page, 1041KSGF. GF, and you can shoot me an email, sarah.myers at ksgf.com. Excellent. I hope you have a really good weekend. Yep, you guys as well. Bye. Bye.